Several months ago, I was watching a clip of Tom Cruise. I was not watching one of his many blockbuster movies. I was simply watching an interview of his on a talk show. And as he was talking with this particular host, he began talking about some of the things that he likes to do outside of acting when he travels around the world. He said, many times what I like to do when I find myself in a city is, and he said, my security team hates this. He says, I just like to break away and go take tr uh, public transportation. He goes, so, you know, that's what I'll do. He says, one time I was in London, I was shooting a, a movie there, and uh, he goes, I just want to take the tube, right, the subway. So he said, I got on a hat and had my AirPods on, the music, my phone, and just went down there and just went down and got into a subway car. He said, it was just packed out. So I was just sitting in this car and everybody's, you know, looking at their phones and all that. They're on their way to work and it's busy and the hustle and bustle of London. And he said, after a while, as I'm sitting there in the subway car, I can just kind of feel someone looking at me. And Cruz said, I looked over there and I saw this, this high school student, this girl, young girl, just kind of looking at me, staring at me. And then he said, she began looking around at all the other people, mostly adults, on this train, and they were all just, you know, just you know, engaged with their, with their phones. And he said, she looked back and looked at me, and Cruz said, I went like this. And he said, she had her phone and just casually went <laughs> and got off at the next stop. Nobody noticed <laughs> but this young high school student. Why didn't they notice? Well, I mean, they were busy, right? They were busy. They're going to work. They had worries and concerns, and they were doing what we all do so well. Looking down. They were looking down. And what happens when they look down, when we look down? They missed the moment, right? They missed the moment to, you know, see, maybe get their picture taken with one of the most famous movie stars and recognizable faces on planet Earth. They missed the moment. And before I start judging the folks, these fine British people on that subway, maybe they were going to the orthodontist, I don't know. I had to throw that in there, sorry. And we all miss moments, don't we? We all miss moments in life. When we're too in a hurry or we're distracted, we can just miss a moment. Daddy, look, 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 look what I made, look what I made. Uh-huh, mm-hmm, that's great, that's great, sweetheart. Honey, I really need to talk to you. Yeah, I will in, in, in a minute. You know, 
This is a football game here. I mean, we miss moments. We miss moments. And sometimes we miss moments that are even bigger. And these are moments that I call God moments. God moments. And the good news is, we've gathered here today and we're here in this worship service because we don't wanna miss a God moment. We, we wanna hear what God has to say to us and how God can speak to us in our deepest point of need. That's why we're here. So let's open our Bibles if you would. If you brought a Bible, if not, don't worry, look ahead right there in the screen in front of you. Look at Psalm chapter 19. This is a two-part message, and we're gonna look at communication. My, my original title for this message, as I was getting ready for it months ago, was uh, UFOs and Voices Beyond, okay? Right, and I think a lot of people are worried about what if their life on other planets. What about UFOs? I'm like, that's fantastic. Bring it on. I am curious. Our, our God is, is big enough, if he wants to, to create UFOs and other planets. It doesn't blow my hat in the creek. So let's look at Psalm 19. It's a two-part message. It talks about communication. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. It's kind of interesting, right? They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So the knowledge of God is everywhere. We cannot escape the knowledge of God. Romans 1:18 following says that God has clearly made known his attributes, his divine nature, his eternal power. How? By what has been made. The problem of what about the person who's never heard? That person does not exist. That person does not exist. God has made himself clear. God's knowledge, his power, his character is everywhere present. Now, it's a matter of degree, but the idea that God, you know, there's some person living in some remote desert or some remote jungle who has no knowledge of God, that person simply doesn't exist because of what has been made in the heavens let's continue god has pitched a tent for the sun it's like a bridegroom coming out of its chamber like a champion rejoicing to run his course it rises at one end of the heavens the sun and makes its circuit to the other nothing is deprived of its warmth god is a god who communicates to us. How does he communicate? He communicates in many ways, but what we're going to look at today primarily is how God talks to us through nature, and he talks without using words. He speaks without really getting into a language. 
There's a song, there's a melody to what has been made that is outside of us. And here's the deal. It's on a continual loop. A continual loop called nature is always pouring forth communication about the reality and the existence of God. It's all around us when we walk outside. Creation points us to the creator. We go to the beach. We look at the waves. We feel the sand. We sense the power in the presence of creation. We hike up a mountain. We stand at the rim of the Grand Canyon and see its vastness. We feel so small and insignificant, but at the same time, we are amazed and we're astonished by the reality of a being that transcends all being. And that is God himself. The heavens declare his glory. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And we're in awe. My mom, like most moms, used to love to tell stories of her kids. And she loved to tell the story about me. When I was a little boy, we grew up in North Carolina in the Smoky Mountains. And uh, one day we went out, I guess, uh, in the fall, and we were going to pick out a Christmas tree. We went to a Christmas tree farm, which was a place in North Carolina, a beautiful place where they had this, in my eyes, as a three-year-old, these mountains of green trees that were, you know, Christmas trees. And as I went out there, this, you know, chubby little kid, and walked out there, I saw all these beautiful green trees in the blue sky, and I looked up to my mom, and I said, this is God's beautiful world. So my mom loved that story, loved telling it growing up. And I can say I, I believe that for a long time. I can say I believe that for a good 20 years that as I looked outside and I looked at nature, I thought, wow, this is all by design. This is all by a creator. And for about 20 years, I believed that. I embraced that. My life was based upon that in many, many ways until I stopped believing that, until I began to doubt until I began to entertain other questions about existence and about cosmology and started exploring many, many other options. And I no longer saw this world, the universe, as a cosmos, but saw it more as a chaos and entertained the ideas for many years that we were here simply by some crazy accident, by random chance. Now, Fortunately, I didn't stay there. But I know that you can doubt God's existence. You can entertain other thoughts about nature and about what we see outside, though you have to work really, really hard at it. Because God just keeps on popping up everywhere you look. But it's interesting and a society today that, that we're always looking down and most of the time we're indoors, that atheism, I think, tends to flourish in a society that spends most of its time indoors tethered to technology. And I would say this, 
Christian atheism flourishes in a society that spends most of its time indoors tethered to technology. Now, as I wrote these words in preparation for this message, I was using technology. There's microphones technology, the screen's technology. I'm not a Luddite. We can leverage technology. But when we're too tethered to it, when we're too connected to it, when we simply can't enjoy the ocean, we can't enjoy the mountains, we can't enjoy a nice meal without taking a picture of it to make other people look jealous. Something's wrong. So a Christian atheist, you say, what is that? Well, we're speaking in paradoxes here today out of Psalm 19. I thought I might add one. A Christian atheist is someone say, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Christ, but I live my life as if there is no God. Psalm 19, 1 through 6, it's a, it's a great passage. Again, the parallel passage in the New Testament is Romans 1, 18 following. It talks about this, this language and how, you know, the, the, the sense of God, his presence and his existence is just all around us. And I hear so many people that tend to be skeptics. I know I wore the skeptic's hat for a while. I understand that. I understand doubt, I understand skepticism, I understand agnosticism, atheism as best as I can. If I just had more evidence, the problem is not more evidence that we need, we have too much evidence. We have too much evidence. God's all around us. He's outside of us, he's inside of us through being made in his image. Uh, he's inside of us through his moral law, we look at that next week. But it's really difficult, and you have, you have to work really hard to suppress the knowledge of God that is everywhere present. So what should the knowledge of God as we see God in nature, as we contemplate his power and his character by what has been made, what should that do to you and do to me? Well, let's listen to two maybe two of the most influential philosophers that have ever lived, Immanuel Kant and Plato. They, they help us here. here. Here's what Kant said. He says that two things fill the mind with ever new and increasing admiration and awe. The more often and steadily reflect upon them, the starry heavens above and the moral law within me. And then Plato adds this, he said, the beginning of philosophy is to feel a sense of wonder, wonder. So I would say this, as we go outside, as we contemplate the knowledge of God and his language, that should cause you and me to begin to worship. And where does worship begin? Worship begins with a sense of wonder, awe, and admiration, wonder, awe, and admiration. When you start to think about the fine tuning of nature and the world that we live in and where we're situated, uh, situated on planet Earth, our distance to the sun, if we were, what, uh, farther away, we'd freeze to death closer, we would burn. 
When you start looking at the human body it closer, even the complexity of the human eye, there's some things that are made in creation as we study them that are irreducibly complex. All of these things shout out for a designer. When we look at the stars and we have all these amazing telescopes that we can see into the stars and astronomy, when we look into chemistry and nanotechnology and quantum physics, all these sciences just make me and make us want to go, wow, 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 what an amazing, creative, intricate, detail-oriented, powerful God that we serve. It should cause us a sense of wonder. And then the fact that this this nature that, that we see outside of us or this nature that we study through technology, whether we're looking afar or up close or in these micro levels, all of this is amazing because we can achieve knowledge and then we can build upon that knowledge and build upon that knowledge and build upon that knowledge. Why? It's because of God's pre-existing knowledge. God has wired us to be able to do that. But all of this should create in you and create in me a sense of wonder, awe, and admiration. And that's one of the things that kind of brought me out of my skepticism and brought me back to my childlike understanding, which was really, I think, an adult-like understanding that this truly is God's beautiful world. Worship. Worship begins with a sense of wonder, awe, and appreciation, and worship begins with an appreciation of God's world around you. C.S. Lewis, one of the most amazing authors and intellects of our time, brilliant guy, he did the Chronicles of Narnia and all that and so many other works, and when he was moving away from atheism, it was his appreciation of the universe. It was his appreciation of nature that brought him back. He said, I started looking around me at everything in nature, and he said, I needed someone to thank. I needed someone to say thank you. I was on a talk show a couple of weeks ago with a couple of guests, and this wasn't the subject of the show, but one of the guests on the panel with me kept talking about, well, the universe this, and the universe did this, and uh, you know, we just need to talk to the, I go, the, I didn't do it. I restrained myself. I want to say the universe, the universe, the way you're using it is impersonal. You can't thank an it. We thank a being. We're human beings, right? We know that God is a being. He's not an it. He's not a force. If we are the, the, the peak of his creation, we're going on a side street here, but stay with me, then it makes sense that there's a being greater than who we are. We're just human beings. God has made us in his image. But when we look around this world, we don't want to thank something that is impersonal. That's really impossible. We want to thank a being. We want to thank a human being or the divine being himself, God, who made everything that we can see. Worship begins with an appreciation of God's world around you. And here's what... It's interesting uh, in, in appreciation, the appreciation of nature and, and the character of God in nature. I think even when we're going through times of suffering, God's natural world 
takes on a even deeper, if you would, and more meaningful existence for us. So it's not like we can just always, we always have to enjoy the nature and character of God when we're on the mountaintops, when we're at the beach, when our life is hunky-dory and everything is going our way. And yeah, well, God, no, 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 uh-uh. Even when things are tough, even when things are brutal and life has brought us to the ground, many times our sense, our senses, right? what we feel and see and hear and touch, they're more alive and awake during those moments of, of pain and suffering. We still can thank God. Thank God for the things that he has made and that he speaks to us by what has been made. Worship. The creation leads us to the creator that makes us want to worship. Worship begins with a sense of awe and admiration and wonder. Worship begins with an appreciation for what's around us. And worship begins with the humility of heart and mind. Worship begins with a humility of heart and mind. God is the infinite source of everything. God is the ground of all being. God is, as we've been studying every Sunday this summer, uh, he is unlimited in his power. He's unlimited in his knowledge. He's unlimited in his details and how he's created us and that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. He is unlimited. We are limited. My eyes are limited. They can only see so far. If I go outside and look into that sun that we read about today too long, I will be blind. My ears are limited. I can only hear so much. If I hear something too loudly, it will burst my eardrums and I cannot hear again. My arms are only so strong. My legs can only carry me so fast. And my mind and my brain is also limited to the amount of knowledge it can gain about the world and nature around me. So as a limited, finite creature, I need to humble myself before the infinite creator, God. And that's what worship is. And when we worship God, this is this, um, what, I, what someone calls the, the eros-logos connection. Eros, right, is love, it's passion. So worshiping God is not merely emotional. It's not all emotional, though it is it does involve our senses. It does involve our emotions and our passions. At the same time, worship is also logos. It is also reason. It is also rational. So when we worship God, we're worshiping with the totality of our being, though limited. We worship him with our heart, and we worship him, worship him with our mind. So it's not some abstract, pie-in-the-sky kind of situation. We have our minds in the sky, maybe in the heavens, but also our feet is grounded on earth. That's how God made us. As I've said many times, you don't have to park your brain at the door when you enter into our church. But we do need to realize that our minds and our brains are limited 
that we are before a mind that's much, much bigger than ours, that's more transcendent than ours, that has so much more knowledge that we can't even comprehend it. So when we're outside and we start begin to contemplate the nature of God, we start to see the power of God, it leads us to a point of humility of heart and mind. Then it allows us to see God's beautiful world and then we let God's beautiful world lead us to worship. Man, our choir and orchestra and singing, they, they did a great job inside of leading us in worship today, didn't they? Let's thank them. We worship God. We can worship God when we go outside. We can worship God by the way we work, by the way we carry on our lives. All of our life can be a connection, a time, a moment that we don't want to miss, a moment to worship. So don't miss the moment to worship God when the sun rises. Don't miss the moment to worship God when the sun sets. Don't miss the moment when you go down to the beach and swim in the ocean or even a swimming pool to worship God. Don't miss the moment as you look at the sun and the sky and the clouds to worship God. Don't miss the moment as you get outside the ambient light of this great city of Houston and look up and see the Milky Way and the stars and the moon and the sky. Don't miss that moment to thank God and to worship Him. Remember, we're not living the good life. We're not living the life God intended for us if we're not joyfully worshiping the one who made us. Well, it's interesting how God communicates to us. We'll look more at that next week, but let's, let's go here for just a few, few more minutes. I thought about those, those people on the train in London with Tom Cruise. And I realize that every illustration breaks down at some level. But I thought about it, I said, you know, why did they miss him and, and this girl, this young high school student didn't? I thought more about it. So I thought, well, you know, those folks who were getting up that morning in, in London and get, you know, rushing to the tube to get to work, they weren't expecting that. They weren't expecting to, you know, see a superstar of his caliber on their commute to work. That's just not normal, you know, for anyone. So they, were, they weren't expecting it. In their defense, they, they weren't expecting it. And also, too, it, it didn't make sense. I mean, they're in London. He's from the United States. Uh, you know, someone of that caliber, you know, superstar would not go underground and have to take a subway to work with the rest of us, that doesn't make any sense. And without security, it makes no sense. Why would he do that? And then the student, the young lady, your high school student, she, she saw and recognized him because for that moment at least, 
She was aware. She was aware. And, and so perhaps what you can pray today, what I can pray today, is God, make us aware. God, I pray for awareness. God, I pray that we would not miss the moment. That's, that's what God did, didn't he? God came down to our level. He entered into the subway of life with his son, right? Because the gospel is not just about a sun in the clouds, right, in the sky. It's about the sun, okay? And the sun came, he lived and died and rose again so that forgiveness could flow our way. The sun came that we might know the incredible love of the Father. The sun came to show us the Father. So God's, God goes from this amazing communication tour de force. It's still all around us, 360, you know, 365 for everybody to see that he is real, that he's alive, that he made everything. And then God comes down to our level and gets up close and personal through his son because he wants to bring us into a relationship, an ongoing relationship with our true father, God himself. Yeah. So now as I look out in nature, as I look at the ocean, as I look at the sky, as I look at the sun, as I look at the moon, as I look at you, as I look at me and the variety of God's creation, his creativity, as, as I see that in the intricacies of this world, as I wonder in awe and I'm humbled by, by nature and by God's power, as I look into the sciences and the arts, and I'm amazed at this amazing, powerful designer, God. I go, wow, but then I can go even a step further, if you would, when I trust in Christ, the creator of all becomes my father my father. And so as I'm walking around this place, as I'm walking around Houston, as I'm walking around wherever I go, even London, right? I can say, this is my father's world, right? This is my father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings, right? The music of the spheres. God, help us to be aware. God, help us not to miss the moment to worship you and to trust in our true father.